Thank you, praise team. That song um, brings to mind some words from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where, <clears throat> where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So if you didn't notice the theme this morning is on the Word of God, and so an appropriate song, and just, you know, it's based in, in Jeremiah 6. Our scripture reading for this morning is also found in the book of Jeremiah, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 17, sorry, um, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find it on page 645, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8. And you can follow along as I read, and then and we'll pray together. Page 645, if you're using the Pew Bible, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8. If you wouldn't mind, please stand in honor of God's holy word. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is God's word. may be seated. All right, so we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning and... I don't know if you've heard this recently, I've, I've heard it here, there, in the last maybe year or so, the phrase, this is my happy place. I don't know where that came from. I don't know how, maybe it's been around for a while and I just haven't been paying attention, but at the risk of sounding trite, which that phrase sounds a little trite, but I want you to think right now for a moment about where yours is. Where is your happy place? Is it the beach? Like especially in these crazy cold, well, it's not really cold here, but um, in the colder winter months, do you think about the beach? Maybe it's just a quiet place with a good book. Maybe it's Longwood Gardens. Maybe it's getting to watch your favorite TV series after a long day. You know, Netflix, boom. Oh, yeah, that's my happy place. Maybe it's, you know, it's over for you Eagles fans. I'm sorry. Steelers won yesterday, Um, but maybe it's, you know, on the couch, under a blanket, favorite chair, Monday night football, whatever, certain restaurant, or maybe you're more active and maybe running is your happy place. Well, we love having these places and we love getting to these places, and when we do get to them or get close, we don't love things interrupting our times in these places. We don't love things getting in the way of getting to these places. So whenever we can, 
We want to get to these places. Wouldn't it be great if that place wasn't so hard to get to? I mean, it's always being blocked by demands from others, to-do lists. It's being blocked by interruptions, health issues, financial issues, etc., etc. Well, actually, there is a happy place, one that God intends for all of us that's accessible even when the demands and the pressures are high and the interruptions are frequent and the health and financial issues are painfully limiting. In fact, the demands and interruptions can't keep us from this happy place. They actually can make this happy place especially satisfying and refreshing and invigorating. So we're going to find out where it is by meditating this morning on Psalm 1. So let's read the psalm together and then we'll walk through it. Psalm 1. And you can find that in the Pew Bible if you're using that on page... Go ahead, yell it out if you've got it. (laughs) 448. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I'll leave it for you this afternoon to consider the connections between Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 that we looked at for our scripture reading. You might want to put those side by side and take a look at them. I think it'll it'll, uh, be helpful and encouraging. All right, so... This psalm sits like the doorway at the entrance to the Psalter. Okay? It's like the hymn book or the prayer book of ancient Israel. The hymn book and the prayer book of ancient Israel and all of God's people since then. And it makes really clear that there's two paths in life. So right at the doorway, there's two paths laid out for us. One that dries out and deadens and destroys and one that gives life and vitality and fruitfulness. So we're going to start with the former, okay, which is at the end of the psalm. Sorry, I should have structured that differently. Okay, we're going to start out with the second half of the psalm and consider that dead-end path of trying to find your life in what this world offers. So point number one is that the world yields dryness, death, and destruction. Okay, so I'm using the term world, kind of like shorthand here, like the way the Bible uses it in other places. It doesn't refer to planet Earth, okay, just the terra firma. It refers to this world in its fallenness. Like when in 1 John it says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Okay, it's not talking about, you know, don't love strawberries and whatever. It's talking about this broken, fallen, sinful world. 
So one theologian, David Wells, has a good definition of worldliness. He says it's that system of values in any given age which has at its center our fallen human perspective, which displaces God and his truth from the world and which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. It thus gives great plausibility to what is morally wrong and for that reason makes what is wrong seem normal. So it puts us at the center, God at the peripheral, at the periphery. So it kind of turns things on their head. So that perspective is deadly. God warned Adam and Eve of walking down this path when he said, in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. The wages of sin is death. God is the center. He's the source of all life. And so he alone is where we find life. But we all, by nature, have turned away. And naturally, we, we look to created things to give us life. So those who try, like a parasite, to find their life attached to created, created things are never going to find it, never going to be satisfied, never be anything but cut flowers. Okay, Paul sums up that natural state without Jesus like this in Ephesians 2. This is New Living Translation. Once you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So if that's the path that you're on, it's just going to dry you out and lead to death and destruction. Look at Psalm 1-4. It states it clearly. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. So um, I led a couple of short-term trips. We had missionaries in Israel, native Israelis, uh, back when I was on staff at the church in Chicago. And one of, on one of those trips, we went and, you know, visited some ruins and so forth, um, some archaeological sites. And at one of those sites, they showed us um, how wheat was threshed and winnowed. Okay? We probably don't see that too often in our, you know, where we live. So first, the wheat's all put on the floor here and, and threshed. There's this, you know, like a, a big heavy plate or like a wooden thing that's drug over top, and there's rocks on the bottom to cut it up. And then you take the fork and you throw it up in the air. That's winnowing, right? The day that we were there, there was like no discernible wind at all. It wasn't windy. I couldn't even feel the breeze. And when the person threw the wheat in the air, you could see the chaff just carried off of the threshing floor. It's amazing. It's so light and weightless that it's just carried away with the slightest breeze. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Is that what you want to be like? Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. There's, there's no substance. There's no weight. You can't stand in the judgment. You're just driven away. Therefore, sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So you can see why Psalm 1 opens the way that it does. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So who is this person being influenced by? Not by the world, not, not listening there. So the question is, just really stop and think about your life. Think about this past week. Think about this past month, your patterns, your habits. What influences you most? Really, I mean, what influences you most on a daily, weekly basis? What shapes your thinking? What shapes most how you feel on a given day? What shapes how you spend your time, how you spend your money? How much does, for instance, pop psychology influence the way that you look at your own life and soul and heart, the way you explain things more than the Bible's truth about our hearts and minds and lives? Do the values and promises that that just kind of come at us from magazine covers and advertising shape us more than we realize, more than God's promises? How about the images of the good life in movies or at the mall or, again, in advertising? How much power of attraction do those have on us? Or how about just, (laughs) does the news actually impact you more than the good news of Jesus on a daily basis? weekly basis. See, we're all going to listen to someone. You're going to get your counsel somewhere. You are constantly doing so every day, actively or passively. You're going to be conformed to some vision of the happy path, the good life, and you will walk the path that you want to walk. So which path are you walking? Paul knows how important this is, so he talks like this to the Romans and to us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So how does that transformation by renewal, how does that happen? Well, it's the Word. The Word changes us. The Word gives life. Second point, let's look at the front half of the psalm now. Verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't take his cues from this fallen world. She doesn't take her cues from this fallen world, but Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law or the instruction. Okay, law, if if you think Ten Commandments only when you hear law, that's going to be too narrow. Think instruction of the Lord. Think the revelation of God, which includes his character, what he's like, what he's said, what he's done in history, his signs and wonders, his deliverances, his promises. It's all of that. His delight is is in the law, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's that person's life look look like? He's like a tree, not like chaff. He's like a tree planted. Note the past tense. God does this. God does the planting. 
He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, that term, most of all, in the Old Testament is used to refer to success, like success on a mission or a you know, journey. You've got a purpose for something. So, so you could translate it as, in all that he does, he will flourish. It will go well for him. Doesn't mean... You know, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. So do you see what's going on here, big picture? Blessed is the one whose delight is in God's word. Blessed is the one who meditates on that word regularly, day and night, all the time. He's like a tree, a living, stable, durable, fruitful tree. So here's the big picture. The word of God gives life. It's life-giving. It's generative It generates life and growth and vitality and fruitfulness. So we see the contrast with chaff. Do you want to be a tree? Stable, planted, durable, even when the hot winds blow, the suffering and trial. Your leaf doesn't wither. And fruitful. So do you want to be chaff or do you want to be that tree? What's the good life to you? So here's what's happening What's supposed to happen is we're supposed to read this psalm and our longings, our desires are supposed to be awakened. Is that happening at all in any of us? Does this happen? Like, okay, I've got to be that tree. I want to be that tree. I I know dryness and barrenness way too much. Please, whatever the pathway looks like, I want it because I want to be a tree like that. Hopefully that's what's happening. Hopefully that's what happens regularly. Because again, the Bible, this book is our life. In Deuteronomy 32, 47, Moses says to the people, he says, this, this word is not a mere trifle. It's not a small thing. It's your life. And then Deuteronomy 8, Jesus quotes it when he's battling the evil one in the wilderness. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is our soul's food. We can't live. We can't grow. We can't be healthy and strong and have vitality and fruitfulness without it. And the fruit that the Word bears in our life is for the benefit of others. So one more little point here before we move on to the next part of the outline. Um, One of my seminary profs wrote this about um, this section. In wisdom literature, the tree is a metaphor for wisdom itself. You can look at Proverbs 3.18. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Okay, And those who hold fast to her are called blessed. And the wise man is likened to a tree of life in that his speech and activities are life-giving and restorative. So listen to these two Proverbs. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever wins souls is wise. And then Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue, that's a wise tongue, is a tree of life. So have you ever had this happen where you come away with a converse, from a conversation with a brother or sister in the Lord saying, oh, that was so good. It's almost like you were fed. Anybody? You guys, anybody ever have that happen? 
Okay? So what, what was going on there? That person is living Psalm 1, and they actually have some fruit hanging on the branches of their life, and they fed them to you, not because they're just naturally awesome and compelling, but because God's word, their roots are in the river, and fruit is being produced, and you get together with that person, and, oh, I was just, that was good. And that's what's supposed to happen in your life, in my life. So the word gives life to you, and God does that in order to give life through you to others. So aren't you just begging to know how this happens? Don't you want to know how? If that's the description of what it looks like, this tree, man, how do do we do this? Well, we're going to kind of go backwards up the psalm here. How do you obtain this tree-like vitality and fruitfulness? If you want verse 3 to characterize your life, where do you go? What do you do? Look up just a little bit. On his law, he meditates, point number three. Meditates day and night. So what's meditation on Scripture? Do you actually do that? Have you ever done that? Do you know how to do that? I hope so. If not, let me just give you several descriptions, and maybe one or two will stick. These are a few that have stuck with me over the years, and if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me say some of these. So Tim Keller Um, has a great description of meditation. Meditation is reflecting on God's Word so that you can sense the reality of the truth in your heart. And then he also says, it is looking at the Word like a thirsty tree looks at water. You see what you're after? When you're going for meditation, when you're meditating on Scripture, you're wanting to experience the truth. Not just merely understand the truth. You want it to get down into your soul. So John Piper has a couple of memorable descriptions. Meditation is like putting a text on the front burner of your mind on simmer. Or, he says, like taking a scripture lozenge and letting it dissolve on the tongue of your soul. Or, here's a few more. Studying the Bible. Think, okay, studying the Bible is like Reading a recipe, gathering your ingredients, putting it together. Meditation is like smelling it, cooking in the oven, and then tasting it. When you smell it, you've got to taste it. You don't want to just leave. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, I want to experience. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why I'm meditating on these truths. You're not just content to read a recipe, gather ingredients, and leave them on the counter and go off to work. Or a couple other descriptions. It's like warming yourself at the fire of God's love and truth. Oh, I'm really cold. Anybody else wake up cold in the morning? Like souls just ice cold? I need to get I need to get by the fire. So the goal is that God's grace and truth will become real to us, that we'll experience its truth and power. So let me just give you a couple examples. Um, one that's just like my go-to whenever I try to explain this because it's just so helpful and I keep coming back to it over and over again, my own experience, and then another one just from recently here. So how do you meditate on Scripture? I just want to make sure this is really practical. Psalm 23. Take that. We'll just do the first verse. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now you could, you could just memorize that to memorize it, put a little notch on your Scripture memory belt, or you can memorize it so that you can meditate on any time. 
Like when you're in the line at the grocery store, when you're in the car driving mindlessly, or whatever. Lord is my, or when you're really struggling. How about when you're really struggling? And then the Lord brings Psalm 23 to mind because it's in there. It's stored up. The Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't feel like it right now, Lord. I know you are. Please, would you shepherd me? I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. You said that if you're my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Please, I, w- I need to experience that right now. So just, just ponder. See, all the pondering that you would do in preparation for those times of trial and challenge will serve that time and trial and temptation, right? So, so if you're just pondering it, the Lord is my shepherd, how do you finish that sentence? Can you finish that sentence as, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm so lonely. The Lord is my shepherd, what a bum deal I've got. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm so envious or covetous. The Lord is my shepherd, no, you can't actually. And we struggle with those things all the time. So do you see how how practically helpful meditating on Scripture could be in that moment where, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because I know that you can lead me to green pastures even in the middle of this crazy trial that's got the heat turned up. You can restore my soul, okay? Second example, recently. Um, So I recently memorized uh, Philippians 4.8. So I was... I hadn't memorized it before, and then I knew it kind of vaguely. Um, there's lots of kids in here that have this thing nailed, and I don't, okay, or I didn't. Um, and I think part of the reason I didn't, because I thought it was kind of, well, it's just like this list. Okay, so, <clears throat> oh man, I knew this was going to happen. I didn't write out how it starts. Isn't it, therefore, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is Lovely, whatever is, oh man, I had it, excellent, is that what it is? No, it's not excellent. Commendable. Um, If there's any excellence or if if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. Oh, I'm supposed to think of these things. What things? It's not not clear enough to me. That was without kind of the attitude. That was my attitude, why I didn't memorize it before. Well, I recently memorized it and realized how helpful this verse is because what do you do when you do this what-if, worry stuff? You are thinking about what's not true, what's potentially true, but probably not going to be true. And so here I'm spinning like, and then, wait a second. Okay, Chris, whatever is true. Okay. That's so helpful. Just think through whatever is honorable. Let's say you're tempted to have your mind in the gutter with some, some unsavory talk radio. Okay, whatever's, this is not going to help me. Whatever's honorable. It's very, very practical. Whatever's pure. Temptation, purity. Okay, anyway. So meditation on Scripture, do you see how it can lead to stability and fruitfulness rather than the rootlessness and barrenness that comes from sticking our fingers in our ears with God's word and listening to all the voices and temptations and siren calls all around us. Or how about this? How many of you like devotional books? You know, like the book where it's like 31 days and there's like two pages or one page, it's really short, and um, 
you like to read that in the morning when you're eating your cereal. Okay, thank you, Rick. At least there's one. No, seriously, like anybody like this? Okay, let's see if I'm like, this isn't a good illustration or not. Okay, so do you know what's going on when you actually enjoy one of those, if it's a, a good devotional book? You're actually enjoying the fruit of someone else's meditation. Right? So here in Psalm 1, God is saying that you shouldn't be satisfied, and devotional books are great, you shouldn't be satisfied merely to be a second-hander. You should let that sweet fruit in that devotional book whet your appetite to find more firsthand. And you know what? That takes some work. You need time, which means you need to make time. You need to think. You need to focus. You need to give attention to it. And man, we're just all so busy we're so distracted, we're so distractible. So how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we actually meditate? How do we get there? We'll keep going backwards up through this psalm. Point number four, delight. If you want to be this stable, durable, flourishing, fruitful tree, you must meditate on the Word of God regularly. That's clear. And the people who meditate on the Word of, of the Lord regularly are those whose Delight is in the word of the Lord. God is their treasure and their delight. His word is their treasure and their delight. So they meditate on it day and night. You could write a poem, write a song about that. That rhymed. Okay, so you've got to fight for your delights. You've got to guard your heart from loving the wrong things or loving good things too much and God and his word too little. The psalmist knows that battle. I, I am so thankful for Psalm 119.36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I literally pray that prayer every day. Because I'm spring-loaded. I don't know about any of you, but I'm spring-loaded toward all kinds of other things, to being inclined to all kinds of other things. So you know what this is like. You wake up in the morning and you, you start thinking about all the stuff you've got to do. You're busy. Or even when you're not busy, like Saturday morning, there's like 10 other things that you'd rather do. Rather do. Okay, that's reality. But the point is, what do you do with that? Just give in to it? Or do you say, I need to fight for my delights. I need, if I'm going to really flourish and be alive spiritually and fruitful and durable. I've got to fight for my delights. Lord, please own my heart. I want to love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And I know it's going to deaden me if I keep just turning away from your word and going after these other secondary things. So, brothers and sisters, are you guarding your heart? Are you fighting for your delights, your appetites, your your delights. We fight that on our knees in prayer. Lord, please incline my heart to your testimonies. And we fight it with repentance and self-denial. Like sometimes we need to say no to this thing, to say yes to this thing, even when our heart's not in it. But it's, this is no mere dutiful, I better check the box, you know, or God will be mad, mad at me, go through the motions sort of discipline. This is the happy place, remember? That's where we started. This is the blessed path. This is the path to the happy place. So maybe this is a cheesy illustration, but 
you know, we just traveled over the holidays, our family. Why am I willing, why are we willing, year after year, to drive through crazy weather for hours? Actually, it was pretty nice this time. But crazy weather for hours at the holidays. It's because I love my mom. We love my mom. And my in-laws, you know, Amma and Papa. So I will get coffee and even sunflower seeds and like shred the inside of my mouth with those things. Like what in the world? To stay awake so we can maximize the time at Nana's house or at Amma and Papa's house. If you asked me why I fight through the hours to stay awake, it's not some labor I begrudge because that house is what I'm aiming at and it's the happy place. I want to get there. Or more regularly, why do I kind of scramble at, at 5 or 5.15 or whenever to try to finish up? Well, I guess I have to go home now. I'm supposed to go home now. No, I want to get home. <laughs> so I do what I need to to get there because that's one of my happy places, right? So your delight will drive your Meditation on the gospel, on the word of the Lord, which will give you life and growth and vitality and durability and fruitfulness. That's the logic of the chapter. And you know what the cool thing is? If that desire is absent, which it often is in our lives, but you want that desire, go to the word, because guess what the word is? It's generative. It's life-giving. It can give you the very desire that you need to keep coming to it. So, point number five, blessed, blessed is, we need to see that this is an invitation. It's how a beatitude functions, like Tyler preached on the beatitudes last week. Psalm 1 is not merely setting up two paths. Remember the door of the, the Psalter? It's not merely setting up two paths and asking, hey, which one are you on? It does do that, but it does more than that. It doesn't just say, hey, the righteous, the righteous go to the right, the wicked to the left, um, it says, the wicked are, but then it says, blessed is the one who. It's an invitation. You see that? It's inviting you to be blessed, to turn from the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, taking a cues from the world, to take counsel with the Lord, to be shaped by his word, to come to him for life and guidance, to abide in him so that you can bear much fruit. So this is what the Lord does constantly with us. He calls us to trust him for the blessed life, the truly happy place. Don't let the cheesy, superficial connotations of the world's use of that term like turn you off to that term. It's a Bible term, happy. It's a, this is God's term. He calls us to trust him for the good life. He wants to bless us. Do you see that? I mean, do you see that in the psalm? He wants to bless you. That's why he's inviting you to the blessed path. And you know what? We're pretty blessing-resistant people. <laughs> We're pretty stupid, really, pretty stubborn. We don't believe him. That's why we keep inclining to the other things. I don't have time. I'm not a reader. Okay, there's like a gazillion apps that have audio version of the Bible. Would you quit blowing smoke, you know, like doing the smoke screen thing? You don't want to. You want something else more. And that's all of us. That's why we've got to fight for our delights. So Jesus is actually calling to us this morning, and the question is whether or not we're going to listen. 
What's, what's your response going to be this year, this week, to this word that is our life? Earnest, humble, prayerful, meek, obedient, or is it just going to be bored, indifferent, proud? I guess, obviously, I don't need it. And prayerless. So we just arrived at the door of the book of Psalms. Go ahead and knock. We knock. Who answers the door? Jesus answers the door. And he says, welcome. Come on in. He is serious, earnest, really, but he's happy. He's delighted. He's delighted to have you. And he's just plain delighted. There's like omnipotent joy dancing behind his eyes. And he looks you in the eye. And you want to turn away? It's hard to look him in the eye. Not because he's severe and harsh, but because he's holy. And there's plenty you're ashamed of. So am I. Plenty that we wish was different. Plenty that we know needs to change. We're not so comfortable in our skin. But you can't turn your eyes away. He's got our attention. He's got your attention. He intends to keep it. He has something he really wants to tell you. So now is not the time to look down at your phone, at your email, or scroll your Facebook feed. King Jesus has something he wants to say. He's calling you by name. And it's, it's kind of bracing, isn't it? He knows, like you know, you know, you know he knows your name. But it's arresting and jarring to hear the King of Kings call you by name. He knows you. He really knows you. And it's unnerving, but it's also comforting. So he calls you by name and says, just fill your name in. You need to know that there are only two paths that lead on from here. One is full of blessing, stability, durability, fruitfulness, vitality, and life. The other is the way of curse and barrenness, futility, transience, and death. One path is full of weighty, substantial meaning and purpose. The other is full of weightlessness and emptiness. So I want the path of blessing for you. You realize that God's word is actually inspired by God. This is his word. He's speaking to us. And he wants the path of blessing for you. We just have to trust him. Because there's lots of other doors. There's other hosts that will gladly open to just the slightest tap. Like Instagram. Answer the door. Draw you in. Welcome you in. Pinterest loves to welcome you in. Come and stay a while. A really long while. YouTube's hospitality has some serious gravitational pull to it. ESPN, Netflix, Xbox, Fox News, HGTV, the Food Network, Facebook. This can all be good in their proper place. But if you look, at, if you look back at the past year, God's word and those. Like, who are you listening to? Who are you you listening to? Blessed is the man who does not take the cues from the world, but takes the cues, meditates day and night. This is really kind of countercultural here. So, what does this mean? I'm going to tease this out 
with a very practical application for our church this year, and I'm going to do it kind of in relation to Facebook, but please don't think it's limited to Facebook. I'm just picking on Facebook, okay? That's all. So there's a Bible memory program, which is a Bible meditation program, really, called Fighter Verses. Okay, so Chad, I don't know, what do we have? Okay, so there's my phone. If you want to know what my phone looks like, there it is. Um, and so, see that little red, does this thing work? See that little red thing right there? It's a shield, and it's got an F on it that looks like a cross. How creative. Okay, so fighter versus, and then that's another F, Facebook, okay? So there's this Bible memory program. We'll get back to that in a second. It was created by Desiring God. It was actually created hard copy years and years ago. Here's my old hard copy. Um, I don't even know how many years ago I got that. Um, And so basically, it's about one verse a week. So this week, you're supposed to recite it on a Sunday. So this week's verse, you're only one week behind. Don't worry about it. You can even just skip this one. Um, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Okay? So... That's one, more, one week's verse. Is it, is it working, Chad, to actually click it? No. Okay, no problem. So here's the thing. I'm going to encourage you that our whole church would commit to the fighter verses this year. Okay? Now, the Iwana kids, they're doing their thing, so um, they probably could do them both, but the adults is really who I'm aiming at here, okay? Because we oftentimes kind of give up on this. Um, it takes me so long. No, it's like a muscle. Come on, Ruth, right? You can do this, right? Um, So, fighter verses. Here's a hard copy, but they have this wonderful app that's incredibly helpful, and you can look on it, see your verse every day. You can make your your, um, lock screen the verse. You can click a button and hear the verse sung. You can get commentary on the verse. You can read the verse in its chapter. It's all in there. It's amazingly helpful. This is like years and years and years, and it's $2.99. And it's got five years worth of verses. So you just hit 2016, and there's even an extended version beyond that. If you did the five years, you're like, well, now what's left for me? Okay, I'm just saying it's one time. So could we commit to this as a church and do the fighter verses thing? So I don't know who's with me. I'm going to ask you tomorrow. I'm going to send an email to RSVP who's with me so that I know I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray for each other. And I might send some periodic emails out to encourage. Periodic. But what what does it look like on a daily basis to actually commit to something like this? Well, here's one idea. And again, I said I was going to pick on Facebook. Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, there it is. So intentionally put the red F over the blue F. Sometimes I actually take that blue F off my phone. But anyway, the red F over the blue F. So what if on a daily basis it was always red over blue, like in the way that you use them? I'm not even saying change your Facebook practice. Just every time you're going to go blue, go red first. At least both 
every time. Do you think you'd regret that by the end of this year? Okay. Now, I know there's some of you out there that are not at all on Facebook, or you're on it, but you don't check it much, and you know, don't get all self-righteous now. I'm not even on Facebook. I hardly ever check Facebook. You know, I don't get those people to have time. Okay, whatever. So whatever your thing is, whatever you're inclined to, the news, the sports scores, the talk radio, whatever, apply the point in that direction. So maybe you want to be in on this, but you don't have a smartphone. Okay, that's great. So on the blog, this on Friday, I posted it, all the details you need to ordering a hard copy pack like this, and I'm going to give this away to whoever wants it first because I'm using this app now. So here it is. Please come and get it. It's yours, okay? But you can also, you don't even have to buy it. You don't have to spend the $13, whatever it is. You can get NIV, ESV. You can also print them off yourself, or you can just do it online. All the resources, the songs, everything, it's just online at that site, okay? So anyway, I encourage you to jump on board with this, and how are we going to actually stay faithful to stick to it? Well, um, let's pray for each other. I'll send some encouragements, but I'd also encourage you to pick a partner in your community group. So maybe challenge your fellow community group members and pick a partner and then just periodically, maybe weekly even, ask each other. Or whenever you do meet in your home group, ah, I did it again, community group, whenever you do that, whenever you meet, talk about it. Share some of the ways in which the meditation on God's word has borne fruit, has helped you. All right? And now I'm going to close with a testimony from George Mueller so that the happy place, Psalm 1, becomes your happy place on a regular basis. Some of you might be familiar with this quote, but it's worth hearing again. Mueller lived in the 1800s. He cared for thousands of orphans and was known for his great faith. Hmm. So when you hear his testimony about his relationship to the Word and his great faith, his fruitfulness, you might want to connect those dots, you know. He was like a tree, planted, durable, fruitful. So here's what he said. The first and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how much I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus by means of the Word of God while meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion. He wanted to experience the truth, experience communion with the Lord, that my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. For I might seek to do all kinds of things, and yet not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. The first thing I did after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon his precious word was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching as it were into every verse to get blessing out of it for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. 
The result of this is that there is always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or intercession mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably is even sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. Thus also the Lord is pleased to communicate unto me that which either very soon after or at a later time I have found to become food for other believers, though it was not for the sake of the public ministry of the word that I gave myself to meditation, but for the profit of my own inner man. As the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time except we take food, and as this is one of the first things we do in the morning, so it should be with the inner man We should take food for that, as everyone must allow. Now, what is the food for the inner man? The Word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the Word of God, so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would do whatever it would take in each of our hearts that we would hear Psalm 1 and we would jump to respond because of the incredibly good word of invitation that it is. I pray that we would be a people that abide in Christ and Christ in us as we, the branches, cannot bear fruit by ourselves unless we abide in the vine. Whoever abides in Christ and he in them, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from him, we can do nothing. Please help us to believe that, Lord. And move us to be a people who delight in your word and meditate on it day and night. In Jesus' name, amen.